Stanton now with a runner at first. Stanton drives it. Center field deep. Back goes Caesar. Gone! 50! Vaporized to center. Miami takes the lead. And Giancarlo just keeps on crushing. Time and time and time again. So it is Monday afternoon, the last Monday of August. I'm in Buffalo, New York, alone in the podcast room today. Last week I spent a ton of time uh, emailing and scheduling and recording and canning some interviews. And uh, Don and I planned on getting together on Thursday. And recording the body of the show and then sort of maybe putting two up or making a monster pod. Uh, We're kind of throwing around some ideas. And then I woke up today and realized that uh, The Athletic, which is a subscription uh, internet journalism hub for sports cities across the country, had launched its first national subscription service uh, that is run by a good friend of the show named Stuart Mandel. And a couple weeks ago now, maybe not that long, 10 days maybe, uh, Stuart and I recorded an interview talking about the launch of his site and previewing the college football season. And I thought it would make a lot of sense to get that up today. And I also thought that that would pair really well uh, with one of our best interviews in a while, and that's Sean McDonough from ESPN. It's Monday Night Football. Uh, Mr. McDonough and I talked on Friday, so just three days ago, and did almost 40 minutes. Really cool. We did some really cool a uh, few minutes on Sid Bream uh, scoring the winning run against the Pirates in the 1992 NLCS. And it was really cool because... Sean obviously called that game for CBS, and uh, I watched it on CBS, and uh, we got to talk about it, and we talked a little bit about whether he thought Barry Bonds could have thrown him out, uh, Sid Bream. Uh, That was really cool, and then obviously we get into a bunch of different things uh, regarding this season of Monday Night Football, which is really cool too. So I thought, why don't I just jump on here? People are going to want to hear these interviews anyway. Uh, so there'll be less Steve and Don and more time uh, with Sean and Stuart. And then the plan is on Thursday, uh, Don and I will record. I still have another interview canned with Will Leach from Sports on Earth. Uh, so we will have that on Thursday. And then also another one, which I'm not ready to potentially jinx. Uh, so we'll have two strong interviews again this week. Two shows this week, one at the beginning of the week, one at the end. Uh, And then we are uh, into fall schedule. Everyone's going to be back to school. And Don and I are going to be back to work from now until Christmas. Uh, Probably doing a show a week. I'm sure there'll be one or two weeks where we don't do one. Uh, But we're going to be hitting it pretty hard 
uh, from here on out. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a break in a second. Uh, then we will come back with Sean McDonough from ESPN. We'll talk to him for about 40 minutes. And I'll be back. Quick book club update. I'm not going to name the book club book of the year today. We'll do that Friday uh, because I want to do that with Don here. So we'll do that Friday. I'll just do a quick book club update on Stingray Afternoons by Steve Russian. Uh, then we'll take another break and come back with Stuart Mandel. He'll talk about the launch of his site and preview the college football season. Uh, and then I will close thing out with one last thing and some plugs. So with that said, I'm excited about this show. I think it's going to be really good. I'm really excited about this interview uh, with Sean McDonough. I, I think I've been in a little bit of a slump maybe. Maybe not booking the biggest names. With, that's with no offense to those who have been on. Uh, whoever's on at that moment is obviously the biggest name at the time. Uh, but I don't know. I just felt like this one woke me up a little bit. Like, okay, you got to bring your A game today. And maybe I did. You can judge on whether or not I did. And if you want to tease me about it, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters. But with that said, uh, let's take a break and check it out. Right, our next guest is from Boston and is a Syracuse grad. He calls play-by-play for Monday Night Football. He's making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Sean McDonough. How's it going, Sean? I'm doing quite well, Steve. How are you doing today? Doing really good. Doing really good. I was listening last night to our interview last year. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I had a laugh that I actually asked you about the 1998 Hockey Olympics. You probably don't get that one very often, do you? <laughs> no, but I uh, there was a great memory. I enjoyed that immensely. It was a great experience to do the Olympic hockey. Maverick 98 was the first year that the women played, and it was also, I believe, the first year that the NHL guys were allowed to play. So yep. it was noteworthy for a lot of reasons. I wanted to ask you, I think this is probably one you get a little bit more frequently, but I wanted to ask you about the Sid Bream play. Um, I I watched that game. I was, I think a lot, that was 91. Was that 91 or 92? I was 11 or 12. No, but, I was 92. Yeah, 12. I was 12. And, you know, I was in Buffalo, so we didn't have a baseball team, but the Braves were a team you could watch every day. You could basically watch the Braves every day. You could watch the Cubs every day. And you could watch the Yankees most days. And that was about it. So I watched the Braves a lot. Loved those pitchers. Was into that series. And I thought there was no chance in hell Bream was going to score there. I was curious. Were you watching on monitor? Or were you looking out at the field? And did you think Bonds was going to nail him? Or what was your what was your view of that play? Wow, it's a good question. It was so long ago, it's hard to remember. You know, I typically kind of go back and forth between the monitor and the field. You know, it, with baseball, especially when the ball's hit, you know, there's so many different things happening. There's the ball and the fielder, but there's also the progress of the runners as they're going around the bases, and obviously the director is cutting back and forth between all those, and I always try to match what I say to what the people are seeing on the screen. So most of the time you're watching the monitor, but you have to look up from time to time, even if it's a brief glance, just to make sure you know, one of the runners didn't trip and fall down or the fielder didn't boot the ball while, you know, we were on a shot of the runner. So 
I always kind of go back and forth. And, you know, it was a dramatic ending, obviously. I think Steve Hurt from the Elias Sports Bureau made the argument that you could say it was really one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting postseason game of all time, given that the way it ended in the ninth inning and everything that went into that ending that was unusual. So a lot of people ask me, what's the best game you ever called? And if that wasn't it, it was. it's certainly right there in the top two or three, and I don't know what would surpass it. Do you remember if you thought Browns was going to throw him out or not? No, I don't. I mean, I think you could tell it was, you know, transpiring that it was going to be close. And obviously, you know, Sid Bream was notorious for being a very, very slow runner. I think he'd had several knee surgeries by that point yeah. in his career. So, you know, that that made it uh, compelling as well. And I think that's part of what made the whole moment special was, you know, that he was the runner and Bonds was the fielder and. You know, there was there were so many things that went into that whole game, but particularly that ninth inning. And yeah, I just remember it was about the loudest I've ever heard a stadium when uh, he slid across the plate. I mean, it was the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and you could almost feel the place shaking. You know, it was just uh, unbelievably loud. Yeah, it's earlier in that season that Dave Justice scored the tying run and Sid Bream scored the winning run. And earlier in that season, they had had a race uh, to prove that. They were both trying to prove they weren't the slowest one on the team, uh, and I think <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Race, you know, Justice had the easy part because he was already on right. third base, so yeah, you know he, he basically had to trot home. Yeah. But uh, yeah. know, the, the best part of David Justice for us back then was he was married to Halle Berry, who used to sit right below the booth, and when she would come take her seat, she would wave up at Tim McCarver and me. So that was always <laughs> a highlight to any day. What did McCar- did McCarver say anything to you about having the ice dumped on him? By yeah, he wasn't happy. You know, there was a lot of interesting circumstances around that play because, you know, uh, Tim actually left um, to go down to the locker room and uh, interview people, and that's when Deion Sanders threw the buckets of ice on him that you are referring to. And, you know, I called that play, Sid Bream scores, and my voice was kind of cracking, and, uh, you know, it was so loud I couldn't even really hear what I said, but I know that, you know, my voice got pretty squealy and um in my mind i'm thinking you know did i just blow the biggest play of my life here and uh and then tim went down i didn't know because a lot of the ice buckets uh, that got thrown on him by dion were when we weren't on camera with them so i i don't think that we really knew that this was happening so you know we finally get off the air and i was walking back down to the trucks with my friend Billy Andrade, who's a professional golfer, and his wife Jody, who they had been standing in the back of our booth. They live in Atlanta. And I was telling them, oh, my God, they, you know, that's the most dramatic ending I'll ever call, and I think I might have blown it. And then when we got down there, all the CBS people were hugging me and telling me how awesome it was, and so that was a big relief. And then here comes McCarver, you know, drenched from head to toe and really, really angry, and he was explaining to us what was going on. You know, we had been critical somewhat critical of Dion because he had promised the uh, Atlanta Braves that during the postseason he would not go play football at the time he was doing both and then you know during the series he went and played in a play in a game for the Atlanta Falcons and hurt his ankle and really wasn't at 100 percent so I don't think Dion appreciated Tim in particular uh making those statements so that's sort of what prompted it but you know Tim was angry enough that I think he would have liked to have gone back down to the clubhouse and uh, we convinced him that that was not a good idea. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for that. That's really good. 
Uh, I would play one of these highlights, but I know if I play one, it's going to be Skip Carry or something, you know, because I didn't have a chance. You know how you listen. This is an interesting thing. Whenever I try to play Sabres highlights, I want to hear the Generat one. I'll sit through a minute ad, and then it'll be, you know, Bob Cole or something. I love Bob Cole, but, you know, when you listen to a Sabres highlight, <laughs> you want to hear Generat. Yeah, Bob Cole's great. Bob Cole, Bob is, Cole was actually doing the Olympics in 98 uh, for Canadian television when we were over there, so I had a chance to spend a little time with him. He's amazing with his pauses. You know, like when he'll call a, a huge play, he's great at – he throws the one words out. You know, like he'll say, like, goal, and then he'll stop, and then he'll maybe say Senators or Leafs or something and stop again. He's, he's really good. He is a treasure. Yeah, well, he's a great announcer, legendary yeah. announcer. And uh, great appreciation for the hockey announcers because it's not that easy, particularly on the radio. I think it's impossible on the radio, and I don't know how the guys who do that do it so well. But uh, – but it's a fun sport to call, that's for sure. It's one of the things I wish we still had at ESPN that we don't, and who knows, maybe someday we'll get it back. Yeah, I think it was Butcher Grass was on, I want to say, pardon my take, or one of those saying that he, he thinks it's a certainty that, I mean, he's speculating, he doesn't know, but he thinks that ESPN will get back in the game. Would you want to call hockey again if ESPN was a part of it? Or are you kind of focused on Oh, yeah, I would love to. Yeah. Remember, that was one of the very few negatives Last year, when I got the Monday Night Football thing, was I was supposed to be one of the play-by-play people on the World Cup of Hockey up in Toronto last September, and uh, because it conflicted with Monday Night Football, I got taken off that, which, you know, if that's the worst thing that has to happen to do Monday Night Football, then that's fine, but it would have been fun to do, because I love doing hockey, so if we got it back, I'd love to be a part of it if they wanted me to be. Very cool. Hey, I want to ask you, you mentioned last year when we talked to you, we talked to you in October, but I wonder now after a season and a summer to reflect on it, uh, what did you think was the best and maybe the worst of your first year calling Monday Night Football? Um, well, those are good questions. The, oh, the, you know, the, the best part of it for me was probably the game that we did in New England um, in December. It was just so emotional for me having grown up going down to the old Foxborough Stadium with my dad as a kid when he was covering the Patriots week in and week out for the Boston Globe. You know, we just been, went down there so many times. And, you know, it was pretty emotional that night to walk in there and, you know, be thinking about my dad who had been gone for about 14 years at the time. And when I got into the booth at Gillette Stadium, one of the, the technician said, you know, there was a guy in here a few minutes ago who was looking for you, left something for you on the counter where we stand by the monitors. So I went over there, and Mike Reese, our friend and colleague from the from the ESPN who covers the Patriots a lot, uh, kind of idolized my dad growing up. He had left me a copy of the special section that the Globe did when my dad died with a lot of tributes and really nice articles and, you know, quotes from famous sports people around the country and with a little note about how proud my dad would be and how he was thinking of my dad on the nights, which was really so kind to him. So it was a very emotional experience on a, on a lot of levels. You know, I think the worst of it, um, I don't know if there is a bad part of doing Monday Night Football. I'd have to struggle to think of. I mean, you know, there, there are times when you wish you'd done things better. You know, I think, um, you know, I think the worst part of it was uh, some people were kind of critical of, the, my alleged lack of chemistry with John Gruden at the beginning of the year, which I thought was silly because, I mean, 
when you've done one or two games together, you know, these are people on sports talk show hosts who probably worked with their co-hosts for 15 years who are talking about, oh, it doesn't sound like those guys have any chemistry or like each other, which is absolute nonsense. But, you know, I, I think that went away as the season went away because we got more and more comfortable with each other's timing and rhythm and, you know, what the other person likes or doesn't like. And, you know, I think these two exhibition games we've done so far this year have been great in that regard. And uh, it's like anything else, the more time you spend around somebody, the more you get to know them, the, the easier it is to uh, to do well together. So, yeah, I mean, you're not going to uh, be Mike and the Mad Dog after one radio show, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's silly. I mean, yeah. it was so silly. I'm like, geez, we've done one game, two games. You know, it's uh, under a lot of scrutiny. And, you're st- you know, and it's not just a new partner in the booth, but it's new for me, at least. It was new people in the truck. And you, know, you understand, I think a lot of people probably listen to your podcast understand, you know, that's, that's a big deal for us, too. I mean, different producers and directors and all the other people who work with them, graphics people and videotape people, you know, they, they all work at a different pace, a different philosophy, you know, and communicate into our ear differently than other people that you've worked with in the past. So, you know, there are adjustments on a lot of levels. And, um, you know, I, I think anybody thought we were going to be as good as we could be, you know, in the first or second week was kind of delusional. But uh, but we're past that now, and, um, you know, just trying to uh, get better. We spent a lot of time this off season together uh, watching tapes and talking about philosophy and what we thought was good about last year and what, where we could definitely get better. And, you know, that's what we're going to try to do, accentuate the positives and, and correct the negatives. I don't mean to jump around, uh, but you did mention your father, and, and I, I was researching last night. And I thought I found something really interesting. I thought uh, Ed Sherman is a friend of this podcast, and you had you had mentioned to him uh, that in, in uh, I think it was ninety nine or yeah, back in ninety nine when uh, CBS uh, didn't renew you, you actually thought about quitting, and it was you were on a walk with your dad, according to legend, and um, he kind of talked you out of it, and and. Uh, do you reflect on that at all? And 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 when maybe when you're in the Monday Night Football booth in Boston, like you described, and and is that something that sticks out? As as uh... yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that made this Monday Night opportunity so special. I mean, it would have been special in any you know event because of what it is. I mean, it's 48 years now Monday Night Football coming up, and there have only been five play-by-play people. So yeah, I would have felt incredibly blessed and excited to have this opportunity, no matter what. But you know, I think it meant even more to me just because of the sort of winding path that it took me to get there. You and I have talked about some of this already today in terms of, you know, having the chance to do the World Series when you're 30 years old. You know, you kind of think, well, that's going to become the norm. And then, you know, it isn't the norm. CBS lost the rights to do the baseball and other things happen. Uh, you know, the, the thing in 99, leaving CBS, it was just so out of the blue. And I, you know, I, I've come to know sort of the reasons why some of it happened, I guess, and uh, that'll be in the book someday, I guess, right. but for now, it's better, you know, it's just, it, there was really no good reason for it at the time, and uh, there still wasn't really any good reason for it, and uh, so that was the jarring thing, you know, I'd, I'd sort of steadily been on the climb, I mean, for example, you mentioned the improvement of my Olympic assignment, I'd gone from doing the the bobsled and luge to doing uh, the ice hockey. And, you know, I was really on the climb there to the point where when the NFL came back to CBS, you know, a lot of my friends there were telling me, well, when we get the NFL back, you'll be our number one NFL guy and you'll do the Super Bowl. And, you know, not only did that happen, but I wound up not staying because uh, they said they needed my money and my events because they wanted to hire Dick Enberg. So it's like, okay, 
And I understand that. Dick Enberg's great, but you're going to need a lot of other people, too, right. when you have six or seven yes. you know, regional games every week. But anyway, it's ancient history now, and uh, and everything happens for a reason. I've said many times, you know, I'm a huge believer that God has a plan for our lives, and we don't always uh, start heading where we want to be or where we think we want to be or where we should be. But if you trust in that, I think more often than not, it, it works out well. And, you know, uh, it worked out exceedingly well for me. And, you know, it's, uh, there were some bumps along the road, but I really wouldn't change any of it. Yeah, I wasn't meaning to associate a negative either. I thought the cool part of that. Oh, no, and I, I'm not, and, I know you weren't, man. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. You, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's in the past now, isn't it? It's, it seems hard to believe that's, but 18 years ago. But, um, but it was a tough thing to go through. And, and what compounded, Stephen, I think made me so emotional, made me just wonder if I wanted to do something else. You know, you work hard to get there. You work hard to do a good job for these people and, and you know, get along with everybody and, you know, to, to just have it happen. And it happened right on top of, you know, my agent, who was one of my dear friends, was a great gentleman by the name of Robert Fraley. And in October of 1999, he died in the plane crash with Payne Stewart. So. Oh, no. You know, that was uh, still real emotional and raw and trying to process and deal with that. And then, you know, a couple months later, when you don't even an agent, you know, and they, you get the call from CBS that they're not going to renew you. It wasn't, it was a really rough fall. But, you know, I think, you know, leaving CBS, to me, that would have been a lot more difficult had the thing with Robert had not, you know, just happened. But, you know, that was so much more important than any contractual thing, you know, losing, uh such a wonderful person that, you know, at that point I almost didn't give a hoot <laughs> whether I stayed at CBS or not. You know, right. is that maybe part of the reason why you thought about quitting? Just because you didn't have your your agent anymore? No, it just sort of. I don't know. It just the randomness of it, the fact that you have no control. You know, and and that's always going to be the case. I mean, I might think you're a great sportscaster. Someone else might think you're terrible, and they both have what they think are legitimate reasons. So. You know, you're, you're constantly at the mercy of people's, you know, individual preferences. You know, someone I might think is a terrific sportscaster, you might think stinks. So, um, yeah, I think the, the randomness of it, you know, to me at the time was really unfair about it. Um, but, you know, there's just so much about it. That I was like, if this is the way this business goes, then maybe I want to go do something else, you know. So, and then thinking maybe I should do something that's a little more important, too. You know, one of my frustrations that I've verbalized in the past is as fun as this is, and it's really fun, unbelievable way to make a living, you know, we're not curing cancer. You know, what I've come to realize, though, is we do bring enjoyment to it, uh, to people, if we do it the right way. So, um, but, you know, there are other productive things you could be doing with your life, too. And it was a time for me to sort of think about maybe I just want to go do something else. Well, that's an interesting thing, too. But I'm glad I stuck with it. Yeah. Oh, we're glad, too. Uh, that's an interesting thing that you bring up, too, because, you know, in 2017, things are so hyper-political and times are tense. The days are tough. You know, I know personally, uh, I look at sports as a, a great way to kind of escape from some of those realities, um, just kind of enjoy a game, you know, kind of. Right. And uh, I wonder, as a broadcaster, someone who has convictions, who, who cares about certain political aspects, do you fight with the balance of, you know, wanting to use your platform, if that's the right way to describe it, 
um, to touch on certain topics with uh, the other side of just wanting to call a ball game and offer that outlet, as you said. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I know there's been a lot of attention in recent years about ESPN and the supposed, you know, political leanings of the company or the network or, you know, I've been there for a long time. I have never been involved in one conversation with any management person, you know, other than uh, seminars when they've told us that generally good topics to stay away from are religion, politics, whatever it might be. You know, there, you know, I think most of us, you know, you, you don't want to use profanity. I mean, there are a lot of things that are just common right. sense. It's a deal breaker. And, and you know, to me, I don't think, you know, people tune in to watch the game, and I really just think we should stay with the game. Now, if there's somebody in the game, you know, who just, who's, you know, wife just got elected the mayor of some big city or something, then I think it's fine to kind of, you know, that's not really delving into the political world, but, you know, it's it's a it's a legitimate pertinent topic that pertains to someone in the game. So, but uh, I just never go there, and I don't think it's my place to go there. You know, I don't, people don't tune in to watch Monday football to you know want to know what I think about uh, immigration or tax reform or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's out of place. But I do think the whole notion of you know somehow ESPN is handing down directives to those of us on the air about what our political thoughts ought to be, that's a bunch of nonsense. You know, no one's ever told me you need to be liberal, you need to be conservative, you need to be a moderate, you need to, you know, what they would do, would prefer is that for the most part, we keep it to ourselves. And I understand that, you know, so, and I'm, and I'm totally comfortable with that. One more kind of similar to this. You have the Bengals in December and I wonder if you thought at all about Joe Mixon because, you know, Brett Musburger, Got a, a guy criticized a little bit uh, when he called the bowl game for kind of, I think, just kind of reacting to the, the type of night that Mixon had had and, and almost kind of saying, hey, he's got this second chance. I hope he makes the best of it. That was my interpretation anyway. Other people right. interpreted it as, you know, him, I don't know if enabling is the right word, but they they found a negative in it somehow. And, right. Uh, and Well, I think, you know, Again, any topic like that is dangerous. I mean, you're talking about somebody who, you know, not, not only was accused of doing something heinous, but, you know, obviously he did it. We all saw the yeah, video, an and ugly it was video. That's an ugly awful. Yeah, yeah, it is ugly. So, yeah. you know, I, I think when you go there, you know, if you're not very careful with what you say, you know, you can, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody in their right mind would think Brent would, was ever condoning uh, what the young man did. I mean, clearly he wasn't, but... No. Even in wishing him well in his future, what I don't remember the exact language. You know, you you run the risk that people are going to think you you are sympathetic to this guy, and you have you know lost whatever your compassion or your focus on the victim. And you know, again, I think that's why in our case you got to be very careful when you're on the air. You know what what you talk about, and then if you're going to talk about something as sensitive as that, you really better make sure you phrase it exactly the way you want to because if you don't, then, you know, what happened with Brent is the, the kind of things that happen. So, um, you know, I'm a big believer in second chances, you know, but you know, I think every team had to judge for themselves is that, you know, the act so heinous that, you know, we just don't believe in giving somebody like that a second chance. And I think that's why I saw some teams pass on them, and obviously the Bengals thought, 
he was worthy of a second chance. You know, in terms of will we talk about it when we get there in December, um, you know, that's one of those things, um, and I've had this conversation over the years with producers and other people that I've worked with. You know, how deep into, is this going to be a story every game he plays in for the rest of his life? You know what I mean? Um, you know, there'll be a number of, you know, Fox and CBS games, I would assume, maybe even NBC game that he plays before we get there. Does every broadcast crew have to rehash the entire history of it? You know, and, and if so, for how long? And I'm not, I'm not saying we should or we shouldn't. I'm, I don't know the answer to my own question with that. But, you know, I do think there comes a time when, you know, there's a lot of people who have stuff in their past. You know, I just, it's, to me, it's always the age-old question of, okay, how long is this something that we really have to talk about if we're doing this person's game, or are we now just past the point where this person can just go back to being a participant in the game, whether it's a player, coach, official, whatever the case may be. So um, I don't know if we'll get into it or how much we'll get into it, but that's one of those conversations that we'll have to have at the time. Uh, another really interesting thing I thought is uh, you got you got a, a lot of people who are really, really excited about the fact that you were openly somewhat critical about the officiating last year when discussing the uh, the decline in the ratings. And you mentioned that you thought, I think everyone thinks now, that it was a combination of a lot of factors. Uh, and, and you threw out the hypothesis that maybe the intrusive nature of the officiating was maybe one of those reasons. Uh, right. And, and I think a lot of people at times can criticize ESPN, uh, or they do, uh, rightly or wrongly, occasionally, for... You know, sometimes taking the league side a little bit too much. Again, if I'm phrasing that correctly, it feels awkward to say because I don't really necessarily believe it. But I know some people often throw that criticism out, and I think for, right. for that, well, it I think was those two who throw it out, you know, aren't looking at the facts. I can guarantee you that the league probably doesn't appreciate when there's a story about concussions on outside the lines or. Right. The NFL Live is covering Deflate Gate for two years, or you know what I mean. So there's, you know, I think there's certainly times. I know there have been times when the league probably hasn't been happy with some of the, you know, content, opinion, whatever, of uh, what's been presented on some of our shows. So, uh, you know, my feeling on that, Steve, is we're there to serve the fan. I understand that there are business relationships, and if the NFL decides they don't want ESPN to have Monday Night Football, then I'd be out of a job. So I think, you know, I think any of us would have to be sensitive to that. It's not just me. You know, it's it's really the highest rated, most important thing on ESPN. So, you know, I'm not trying to damage our relationship with the league, but, you know, I do think our number one philosophy, and I've heard this expressed corporately at ESPN too, you know, first and foremost, we're there to serve the viewer. And I always feel like we should be talking about what we think the viewer is talking about or thinking about as he or she is sitting there watching the game. And if I was watching that game that night between Arizona and the Jets, I would have been annoyed. I was annoyed being in the booth. You know, there were, I think, 23 penalties or 19. I don't remember the exact number. But there were a lot of them. And there are some nights you do a game, there should be a lot of them. There's a lot of late hits or a lot of blatant holding or pass interference. You know, and they have to throw the flag. But this was a night when it seemed like it was a lot of ticky-tack things that didn't need to be called, and these guys were just a little flag happy, and it really slowed down the game. So, you know, I don't think it's even close to the number one reason. I don't think every game is officiated that way. But, you know, when the league is talking about keeping the game moving and the pace of play and the 
you know, these games coming to a screeching halt because of flags that don't appear to need to be thrown, to me that is an issue. But it was one of many. I mean, you, you said that. That's right. I mean, the whole Trump-Clinton election was historic on a variety of levels. That got so much attention last fall. I think that, you know, the cable news network ratings were up. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons for uh, why the ratings were down. But, uh, and I think, the, you know, the officiating thing is it was a very, very, very small part of it. But um, I'm not going to be afraid to talk about things like that as long as it's fair and accurate and it's supported in fact. You know, if you, I'm never going to be a bomb tosser. That's one thing I learned from my dad. If you're going to be critical, you know, make sure you know what you're talking about and make sure you explain why you are being critical rather than just sit there and rip somebody for the sport of it. You know, I think there's way too much of that in our business now, and I, uh, I don't want to be that kind of guy. We talked a little bit when we picked up. We were mid-season last year, so we didn't really get a chance to focus on this. But looking at the schedule, no trips to Boston this year, uh, but some really cool ones. I mean, Adrian Peterson's return to Minnesota gets you started on opening day. Uh, the Giants and the Lions uh, has some really cool potential. Uh, Chiefs and Redskins in October. Uh, you'll see a lot of really interesting quarterbacks, interesting players. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. And Matt Stafford face off in November. You know, I'm just kind of scamming it. We, we talked a little bit about the Steelers and Bengals in December. Uh, Raiders and Eagles on Christmas uh, could be really good. When you look at the yeah, schedule, I think what, Atlanta and Seattle is going to be a really good game. Our third game is uh, Dallas at Arizona. You know, I think Arizona is going to be better this year. You know, they were in the top ten in the league in offense and defense last year. Didn't make the playoffs, so. If they can get their special teams issues straightened out, I think that they could be easily back in the playoffs. So, you know, I, I think we have a stronger schedule. For me, you know, the fun part of it, you kind of touched on it, is the venues. And, you know, I've been to Lambeau Field. That was when I was in high school uh, as a fan. But to have a chance to do a game from there is going to be awesome. We have two games in Kansas City, which everybody says is one of the great venues in the league in terms of the crowd and the noise and excitement level. So I'm really looking forward to going there and, you know, as you said, there's a lot of compelling storylines. We'll have the Patriots on in December uh, down in Miami. They have struggled there from time to time over the years, so that'll be interesting to see. And, of course, you know, by then, who knows what their record will be. You know, there's so much talk about could they have an undefeated season. They get annoyed around here in Boston when people bring that up. But who knows? Maybe they'll be working on that in December when we get there. You get to spend two weeks of December in Florida. That's not bad. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, Miami. Yeah, that might be a, those the Florida games in December. You know, we might have to go down a little extra early for preparation purposes only, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe just stay the whole two weeks. You know, so get get a real yeah. That's an also a very good idea. Yeah, I think I might. You know, Gruden has plenty of room uh, right. at his home there in Tampa. So maybe we'll just go crash with he and Cindy for a few extra days. Yeah, Gruden is all over Hard Knocks. Huh? He's like one of the one of the one of the one of the stars of the show so far. He's showing up in meetings. You know, I haven't seen it. I, I've had a, a lot of people text me yeah, I saw about it. There. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously we, we were there. Uh, they were in our meeting room when we met with the Tampa Bay people before our game in Jacksonville in the preseason. And I think they do a great job. It's an excellent show. Um, you know, I watched the one leading into their game just to kind of get a sense, but I haven't seen the one that, that we're on. But, uh, John's a rock star. I mean, he's, he, he kind of takes over wherever he goes, and uh, deservedly so. I mean, he's got a compelling personality, and, uh, and people like being around him. And, you know, it's fun in those meetings when the players walk in, the coaches walk in. You know, you can tell they're excited to sit there and talk to him. 
How do you think Rex Ryan? Uh, the one thing that is interesting to me because they did show a lot in at Hard Knocks. They did show a lot of that meeting, you know, and they did mm-hmm. show uh, Rex Ryan. I thought it was pretty interesting too because he was talking to Jameis, I think, and he was talking about how if he would have had a quarterback like Jameis, you know, he wouldn't be there. And then him and and Gruden were kind of joking. And uh, well, how do you think Rex is adjusting to um, to to the to the booth to that world? Well, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, we, in our game the other night in Cleveland, our preseason game, you know, Beth Mullins and Rex were there doing a practice game to get ready for the real Monday Night Football game the first week of the season when they're going to do the Chargers-Denver game after we do New Orleans-Minnesota. And I don't know if you had a chance to watch that, there, yeah. but we did actually throw it to them, yeah. and they called the series, and I thought he sounded really comfortable. You know, he had already done the practice game in – Jacksonville a couple nights before and I think they did the Florida State spring game or something like that together so you know they've had a few reps you know Rex is a naturally glib guy obviously he's a very knowledgeable guy I think the thing you need to learn during the games is to throw sound bites you know you don't have as much time as you might sitting in a meeting like that talking about football you know you just have the limited window between the plays so you know if and it sounded to me like he's kind of got that timing down too so I think with his personality and knowledge, and now that he's getting comfortable with the TV side, I would guess that he would do an excellent job. Well, Sean McDonough obviously calls Monday Night Football on ESPN with John Gruden. Doesn't really need a plug for that, I don't think. Still not on Twitter. He made it pretty clear last year. Don't hold your breath waiting for him there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was what, last fall, and yeah, we're still a Twitter holdout. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and and. And actually, the longer I live and watch the impact that Twitter's had on a number of situations and lives of other people, I, I think that my decision to stay off Twitter is probably a pretty solid one that is oh, yeah. not going to change. Yes, yeah, so you are missing less and less by the day there. Yeah, yeah. I just I just find, you know, to me it's a disappointment because I think there are so many great uses of it. And I know a lot of people in our business just kind of use it as information gathering and that sort of thing and it can be useful in that way but there just seems to be so much negativity and it's really just a place where in many cases anonymous people can go you know say some pretty horrific things about people with no you know with no backlash you know it's just uh you know to me it, it tends to reflect a lot of the things about our culture and society that aren't great rather than the good things. So I'd rather spend my time focusing on the good things. Yeah, the number one thing about it will always be being able to watch the game with everybody. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. when those moments arise, like, I don't know, the World Series Game 7 last year, you know, everyone's watching that and talking about it on Twitter. And even though your house is quiet, it's like you got all these friends over watching. Uh, But there's just not enough games, it seems like, to get to get through all the other noise sometimes, but I really appreciate Yeah, this. I just don't have enough interest. I don't have time, really, to sit there and, you know, I know a lot of these people follow all kinds of people, and they sit there, you know, I have friends of mine say, well, I like so-and-so, but he tweets too much, or she tweets too much. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> uh, do you have to read everything they tweet? Do you have to follow that many people? Do you have to spend your time reading these things in the first place? I mean, you know, I mean it's just, I, I think it's really kind of silly on a lot of levels. I understand the, the good parts of it and the productive uses of it, but it's for me, it's just not worth it. 
And I see I've worked with too many people who you know read it during the game and then they get upset because you know somebody said something really vicious about them and you know I just don't want that kind of distraction while I'm on the air especially I don't want to even have the temptation to go on and read stuff whether it's positive or negative because I honestly don't care I mean I I did a lot of games way before Twitter existed and I certainly am aware that people sit there at home and think this guy's awful or this guy's great and you know people are entitled to have their opinion and they've always felt that way i just didn't know how they felt because they couldn't express it on twitter or some other social media now i guess i could know how a lot of these people feel but i just don't care you know because i think the worst thing you can do is react to it or respond to it or let it affect you and i've seen it happen to too many other people and i just don't need that to happen to me well i'm going to add to my list of reasons why I hope ESPN gets back into hockey, I'm going to add to my list, I'll put it at number four, the chance Sean McDonough is calling hockey games again. Well, I would love it. I, I don't mind that one. It's so fun. It's, well, you know, it's, I've enjoyed hockey as much as anything I've ever done, and it was really my first great opportunity in Boston when I got to Nesson. I, I started out doing college hockey back in the mid-'80s, so um, I did great it for quite a while hot, and right? really, really enjoyed it. So, and... Uh, it would be great, you know. I think uh, you know it would be. I think it would be great for the league too. NBC and NBC Sports Network. You know, I think they've done a great job for the NFL, uh, the NHL, and they've been great partners. And uh, but you know, I think the league would benefit from having their games on ESPN too. Maybe there's a way to spread it around to more than one place. Yeah. But I have no idea because I'm not involved in any of those conversations, obviously. Hey, thank you so much for this. We always appreciate the first time, but we kind of appreciate the second time better because it means we probably didn't screw up the first time that much. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so well, much for doing this. Well, uh, it's my pleasure and uh, happy to do it. And, you know, it's what we are just talking about. You know, and it's it's nice when you're talking to somebody who seems to be a nice person as you are. So thank appreciate you. it a lot and wish you continued success. Have a great season. Thank you, Steve. Take care. All right, I want to thank Sean McDonough for being on the podcast today. That was awesome. So cool. Uh, I think that means we've had the lead play-by-play guy from Monday Night Football on the podcast six times, four times with Tariko and two times with McDonough. They've had five uh, play-by-play guys in the history of Monday Night Football. Two of them have been on the show, and one of them stiffed us. Al Michaels was oh so close to being on before he backed out. So we could have had three of the five, which would have been cool. Uh, who knows? Maybe one day we'll circle back around to Al again, although I seem to doubt it. I think if we couldn't get him when he had released a book that was ghostwritten by our friend John Wertheim, probably never getting him. Uh, speaking of books, the Book Club Book of the Month is raging on this summer with a book called Stingray Afternoons by Steve Russian. And uh, it's a really cool book. Uh, It's his memoir, uh, 300 pages. I'm about 175 pages in. We're going to have Steve on soon. He tells stories of growing up in Minnesota in the 70s, his childhood, uh, his big break at SI, his career. 
Uh, really a good book. Again, it's called Stingray Afternoons, and it's available, obviously, on Amazon or wherever you buy books. It's a beautiful hardcover, really cool cover. And uh, if you prefer to read it digitally, it's available, of course, uh, in iTunes uh, for Apple or on Amazon for the Kindle. Uh, with that said, oh, while I'm here, I should mention the other book that I've been working on uh, all summer. The book is called Find Your Playlist by Matthew Sabalski, someone I grew up with. Uh, and we actually, He actually uh, created a podcast, which I produce and appear on. It's called Motivation Through Music, and you can find it on Twitter at M through M Pod. It'd be great if you uh, followed. Struggle building that right now. And every Monday we put out a new episode. I uploaded one today, which is based on episode seven of the podcast, which is uh, the song "Lose Yourself" by Eminem. So, uh, if you want to check this out, uh, you can go to SoundCloud.com. Uh, and find the Motivation Through Music podcast there, or you can uh, get the podcast as well on, uh, you know, Apple or Stitcher. Again, it's called Motivation Through Music. It's available wherever podcasts are found. SoundCloud.com slash Motivation Through Music is the SoundCloud page. Uh, if you want more information, again, you can uh, follow at M through M Pod or email. It has its own email which is very, very exciting, a Gmail that I made. And if you want to Gmail us, you can. It's motivationthroughmusicpod at gmail.com. All right, with that said, let's take a break, and let's talk to our friend Stuart Mandel, now of The Athletic. All right, our next guest is from Cincinnati, Ohio. And is a graduate of Northwestern University. We first started chatting with Stuart way back when, when he was at SI. We followed him over to Fox Sports, and you know we're going to follow him now uh, as he's becoming the editor in chief of uh, a paid site through The Athletic. We're going to talk to him all about it. A warm sportscaster's welcome to uh, Stuart Mandel. What's up, Stuart? Hey, Steve. How are you? How you doing, bud? I'm doing great, getting ready to start a new website. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm excited for you. Um, you have pivoted, as they say, in your career. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have pivoted, but not toward video. No, you are not pivoting towards video. Uh, you are pivoting uh, towards uh, something that's kind of picking up a lot of steam, and that's kind of the, the subscription content uh, model. Um, the Athletic... I guess is the parent site, and uh, they're in a bunch of different markets across North America. And your site is going to be uh, a subsidiary, I guess, of that, um, focusing solely on college football. Uh, tell the listeners all about it uh, right off the top before we get into the games, and then we'll we'll recap at the end too, so we make sure everyone signs up because it launches on any day now, right? The twenty sixth, maybe is that the launch? Twenty eighth, something like that. It launches next next Monday on the 28th, 28th on the yeah. first Monday of the first full week of the season. So the site's called the All-American, and it's a national, a premium national college football site. And you're right, it's part of a larger company called The Athletic. And if people aren't familiar with that, The Athletic, um, like you said, they've launched these subscription sports sites 
in cities like Chicago and Toronto, Cleveland, Detroit, Bay Area, um, to compete with the local newspapers there. We are the first of what will be a few national platforms. Seth Davis is doing one for college basketball. Uh, there will be an NHL one later this year. Um, there's actually a Philly local site coming later this year as well. But they hired me to be editor-in-chief of their national college football site. Still writing, obviously, still writing columns like I always have, but now I've got this other hat on where I'm uh, overseeing a staff of six writers that we've put together from around the country, people that work for sites like ESPN.com, USA Today. And, you know, our whole mission, our whole goal is to cover college football year-round in a way that serves all those millions of fans out there who this is their first love. They don't, uh, you know, pay attention to college football because only when it's not NBA season or NFL season. This is this is their sport, and we're going to dive very deeply into it. A lot of behind-the-scenes type stories, um, analysis from people who know the sport cold, and we think that there's an appetite for something like this in terms of the written content, but with no videos, no ads, no clickbait, just nothing but good reported stories. Yeah, and uh, if you're if you're interested. You can go to Twitter at the Athletic CFB. That'll take you to the Twitter feed, which provides a link where you can uh, sign up so you're ready for launch uh, next Monday. And also, you announced today, Stuart, that your podcast with Bruce Feldman, The Audible, will be returning. I know a lot of people are excited about that. Uh, so, just a really good time. Just returned. Yeah. Yeah, just returned a couple hours before we uh, started recording this podcast. Uh, thrilled to be reunited with Bruce, even though we're not writing for the same place anymore. We're able to work it out to continue doing the podcast. Yeah, that's great. It's one of the. It's probably the best college football specific podcast I listen to for sure, and one of the best sports podcasts. Uh, so it's going to be a great season uh, to follow your work. I want to ask you real quick about before we get into the football. You know, it seems like something like this maybe five years ago might not have worked. But do you think that the way we've been consuming things, maybe especially younger people, but I think. Everyone's picking up. We're paying uh, for the stuff we really like. We're paying a few bucks to get Netflix a month. We're paying a few bucks if you like wrestling, maybe for the WWE Network. You're paying a few bucks uh, for stuff you like, and it seems like that idea is trans- is, is is crossing over to, to sports content. And uh, it seems like a genius idea yeah. to me. It, it seems like, but maybe the other subscription services open the door for this because we got used to paying this way for our for our things we love. That's amazing. You sounded exactly like our CEO just there. <laughs> it's almost word for word the, the pitch he makes to people. Um, and I I've, and I have also said this would not have worked five years ago for a couple of reasons. I mean, you're right. People are definitely conditioned to paying for things they like. I mean, frankly, internet sports content or journalism was about the only thing that was free. You know, nobody gives away. Um, you know, you buy a popular jeans, you pay for it. You you know, go to Starbucks, they don't give you the coffee for free. But for whatever reason, way when the internet started 20 years ago, they just, the publishers just gave away the content for free and hoped they would make enough money through ad revenue. And maybe that worked for a little while, but it's not working now. And so I think the number one reason there's going to be appetite for this, or we, and we know there's an appetite for it, is the reaction I saw this summer to Fox Sports, you know, replacing myself and the other writers with nothing but video, ESPN laying off, people like Andy Katz and, and 
Edward or Jason, like very high profile, respected writers, the reaction was not like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I'd rather watch videos. It was, what are you doing? We want to read the articles. Why are people taking this stuff away from us? So, you know, it just requires a different business model. And, and it's true with, with anything, right? I mean, there will always be a market for those free sites. There will always be an ESPN.com. There will always be, you know, a CBSSports.com, and that's fine. And, and we're not saying not to go there. Um, but I think the market is right for a, a, kind of a niche premium site like this that's devoted entirely to uh, high-end content and doesn't have all the other things that tend to clutter up those sites now. Yeah, I laughed uh, <laughs> when Fox F- Sports first did their pivot. They really, I think, had an unintentional embarrassment when the baseball all-star game or something happened and everyone was tweeting uh, Rosenthal and saying, where's your articles? And he's like, I can't write them. I yeah. still work here, but they they won't let me write any articles because it's not video. And nobody wants these videos except for, I guess, sponsors, which they got to think they're going to change their mind when no one's watching them. But it seems like you would be super excited for the fact that you get to really lock in on the on the on the games and the like you said you get to avoid the clickbait and some of the stuff you have to do on the non uh, subscription sites it's got to be really exciting for you um you know to not have to not have to do that anymore to just be really able to get into the into the games and the season and, and the stuff that really matters that the the real college football fans have an appetite for well the most appealing thing of all is that we don't have to chase clicks so, right. you know, I think a lot of, unfortunately, and I'm guilty of this myself, a lot of writers' uh, decisions about what to write about was being dr- uh, driven more and more by, well, is this going to get clicks? And because of that, you tend to gravitate toward the same six to eight, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, et cetera, and away from the good stories at the other schools. Now, obviously, we're going to cover the heck out of Ohio State, Michigan, and USC because they're uh, among the best teams in the country and the biggest programs. But we hired somebody, Chris Vanini, just to cover the group of five conferences because we feel like they're undercovered and that those fans will appreciate the fact that we're going to pay close attention to them and want to subscribe. Um, if there's a tremendous story at Iowa State, you know, we'll go do it. We won't worry about the fact that, oh, there aren't as many Iowa State fans as there are uh, Wisconsin fans. Uh, and that's great. That's what we got into this industry to do. Um, we all got into this industry to tell good stories. And I just think the realities of of this of internet sports today is that we've gotten further and further away from that it's interesting too because you mentioned the big programs this would be a good transition into talking about the season a little bit you look at the ap top 25 uh, that came out today and it blew me away in a way and i don't know if it should have maybe i just hadn't thought about it in a couple seasons but i was taken back a little bit by how dominant how dominated it was by the the marquee programs. I mean, if you just look at the top four, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, USC. I mean, it's like, yeah. whoa. You know what I mean? And then you also have Penn State in the top 25. Oklahoma's in the top 25. Michigan's 11. You know, LSU's 13. I mean, it is really turning into NASCAR almost in a way where you have the top however many drivers competing for the championship and everyone else is almost competing for something else. You know, it's like, I feel like college football is really, really separating itself into two in a way. Well, I would caution against that a little bit. With okay, preseason good. Preseason polls. Preseason polls are always, always going bad. to. Mm-hmm. 
Well, they're just, they're always going to favor the big name programs because that's who people have the most faith in. So I'm looking at it right now, right? Texas went five and seven last year and they're number 23. Why? Because we all just assume that, well, it's Texas. They'll get back at some point, right? Miami had a good season last year. Now everybody's jumped on their bandwagon and they're 18th and they were picked to win their division in the ACC. They've never won their division in the ACC. And then the, the opposite of that would be Colorado, you know, won the Pac-12 South, won 10 games last year, and they're nowhere to be found because people are skeptical that they're going to be able to continue that for more than one season. So once the season gets going, some of these big names will drop off of here, and some schools you weren't necessarily expecting to have good seasons will pop on there. But where I would agree with you is, you know, the four-team playoff has opened up more access to the postseason, and we've seen, you know, Michigan State was in the playoff two years ago, um, you know, Washington hadn't been on this level in a long time, yep. but the number of schools that actually have the talent to actually win, get in there, win two games, win the national championship, I contend it's no more than about a dozen. Um, it's and it's everybody you'd expect: Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, USC, Clemson. These are the schools that recruit at a high enough level to not just get there, but beat two other elite schools back to back. Right. And I wonder if that will lead to maybe some expansion in the in the future where they want to at least get other schools. If it was an 18 playoff, maybe that at least gives some other schools some exposure. Maybe they don't win the national championship, but at least they get a playoff game, or you don't think that that uh, is the case. You think they'll just stay focused on four for a long time. There's not a lot of sentiment within the sport right now to go past four. Um, people have been pretty happy with the first three years of it, and these things tend to move very slowly. So yeah. even if you know, first you need to get some people who want there to be an 18 playoff, and then it would probably take them a few years to figure that out. Right. I do think it'll expand eventually because all all playoff fields expand eventually. But it's a 12 year contract with ESPN. We're only this is only going to be the fourth year of it. I at this point, you know, barring some crazy unforeseen controversy that makes everybody want to you know, blow the thing up like with the BCS, I think it will last for the whole 12 years. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I just think about how hard it was to get them to agree to not play on New Year's Eve. If, you know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> just to make a... That was actually record time that they, you know, they, they backed off of that the very, uh, after one year, which to me is like record-setting pace of leaders actually admitting something needs to change. Right, I guess the numbers you just couldn't. The nose numbers just couldn't lie. Uh, the drop off there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about these teams. Um, why do you think? Why do you think Alabama got fifty-two first place votes? Is it just what, what's special about this year's Saban bunch? Well, they were one second away from winning another national championship last year, and you look at who's coming back: Jalen Hurts back at quarterback. Calvin Ridley received. I mean, people just at this point almost put them there by default. Right. I think Alabama has to have that one season where they actually, you know, find that hey, it is hard to replace um, guys like Ruben Foster, and they do have a drop off, and they go eight and four or something before people start doubting them. I mean, this is the tenth year in a row they've reached number one at some point in the polls, which is amazing. Um, I personally, you know, if I were doing a preseason poll, would have Ohio State number. One, I think that you know, people might be reluctant to do that because the last time they saw them, they lost thirty-one nothing to Clemson. But you know, I, I know what kind of talent they have there. They made the best uh, coordinator hire of anybody this offseason. Urban Meyer did in bringing in Kevin Wilson. 
who one of the best offensive coaches of the last 15 years in college football. And all he has to do is take JT Barrett, who, you know, is one of the most recognizable players in the country and help him get a little bit better and, and help them score a few more points. Their defense will be dominant. So it's not like I'm down on Alabama. I just, but to me, that's the best team going into the season. What are your thoughts on USC? You think they can really contend for a title? They've been out of the, the, the top tier for a few years now. Um, you think they can make that jump from they, the second you know, tier? They, they deserve all the credit. Yeah, they deserve all the credit in the world for the digging themselves out of one and three last year and winning the rest of the games and getting the Rose Bowl and winning the game, obviously. Um, you know, I, I worry a little bit that Sam Darnold has gotten so much hype, and uh, I feel like there's a new Sam Darnold story in a national publication every week right now. Um, that he may struggle to live up to it a little bit, you know, and take that next step. But I, I do think they'll be in contention. The defense will be very good. But I would also say Washington's not going anywhere. You know, they won mm-hmm. the conference last year. Chris Peterson has that thing rolling. Stanford's not going anywhere. They've been at this level since 2010. So, you know, I don't think USC is head and shoulders above either of them. Don't you think the, think that the worst thing we do now is – second-guess teams that make the playoffs because they don't win the playoff game? Isn't that the worst? Like, these games... Or, you know, it, it becomes like um, it overrides their entire season. Right, Ohio just because they lose. It. The reason Ohio State got in the playoff last year is because they had so many big wins during the season. Yeah, I, they did it to Washington, they did it to Oklahoma, they did it to Ohio State. Now, I just don't think it's fair. I mean, if you get that spot, even if it's the fourth spot, you might be significantly worse than that, that first team. That doesn't mean the fifth place isn't worse too and uh also these games these games are still played so much longer after the last one you know it's almost like you're bringing a new team down there to some degree um i don't know that frustrates me i guess teams get better and worse over the course of the season you know ohio state probably peaked two-thirds of the way through last season whereas penn state got a lot better as the season went on let me ask you this did oklahoma last year kind of show that it's a big mistake to play two games again you know two big out of conference games is one really the most you should play one and two cupcakes if you play any at all i mean if you look at uh their season and washington season last year you know they lost uh to houston and to ohio state early then went out washington didn't play you know anyone close to that uh and they're not in their uh non-conference ohio state always plays plays oklahoma uh it's the difference do you think that like, why play that those games now, right? Have we gotten to that point where it's like just play easy games, win out in the big conference, and that's the road to the to the uh, to the playoffs? You don't need the big non-conference win like you did in the BCS anymore. Or am I off on that? Um, I think there's risks too. Obviously, anytime you schedule tough out of conference, but I think the playoff rewards it more than uh, BCS did. So. And we'll see that you know you may get a test of that this year with Florida State and Alabama. It, you know, there's I don't think they schedule that game in the BCS because whoever lost might be out of it right then and there. But you know, we've seen in the BCS first. I mean, in the playoff, first of all, you know, one loss not necessarily going to do you in. But also, the committee has placed so much importance on top 25 wins, so it's a good to put yourself in a position to get as many as possible. Frankly, Oklahoma's problem last year, yes, it lost those non-conference games. But they really suffered from the Big 12 as a whole. Um, I mean, the whole Big 12 did not do well at a conference. So I believe they only played two conference teams all year that were ranked. 
you know, in a typical year, the Big 12 is going to have at least three or four top 25 teams. But if instead right, of playing they, Houston, they play they, UTEP and beat them by 50, they were in, they were going to be in the playoff last year. Or well, they would have had to beat out. They so let's let's play that out. If Oklahoma had played UTEP and had gone 11 and one and won the Big 12, and their the only loss is Ohio State. Yeah, then the last spot would have come down to them or Washington. Right. And it would have been, well, who has more top 25 wins? Uh, I think it would have been Washington, but I can't recall that off the top of my head. But, you know, it's like last year that worked against them. But in 2014, you know, Baylor trying to take the easy way out hurt them. You know, they if they, if they had just played one good out-of-conference team and beaten them, they'd probably go to the playoffs instead of Ohio State. So, you can never truly predict how that's going to play out. Right, that's interesting. Uh, who's your playoff right now? Who do you think? Give me, don't give me four. Give me six teams you think could make the playoffs. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that gives me a chance to. Uh, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of a little, little bit, bit of room there. Yeah, because let's get six. Alabama, Ohio State, and Washington are, are my three teams most likely to make the playoff. Okay. Um, I think Oklahoma State could crash the field this year. Um, if somebody's going to make it from the ACC, I'd go Florida State, but I'm not I'm not as sold on them as most people. So, uh, you know, I'd give me uh, let's see a little further down the list. I mean, Oklahoma State's my my dark horse team. Um, I think Auburn could be a dark horse team. Jarrett Stidham is coming in there, the Baylor transfer quarterback, and frankly, the kind of quarterback Gus Malzahn has been missing the last few years. So, you know, you don't want to pick against Alabama. Why would you do that? But if somebody's going to knock them off this year, it could be their rival. Interesting. Give me give me three big storylines you think are going to are going to dominate uh, dominate the new site this year. Give me three things you think you're going to be writing about over and over. I think the two. The two well, first of all, on the site, we want to try to be different, so we may be <laughs> we may not be writing the same story over and over again. Gotcha. But gotcha. you know, in terms of as a whole in college football. The two, I think the, the the two LA quarterbacks, Darnold and Rosen, will be right. a season long story. You know, which of those guys is going to get not just supremacy on the field this year, but be the possibly the number one pick or the highest quarterback in next year's draft? Uh, I think you're going to see a season long uh, soap opera surrounding SEC coaches on the hot seat because there are so many of them: Kevin Sumlin at A and M, Butch Jones at Tennessee, Malzahn. Uh, you know, there's. Bielema might be treading that a little bit, you know, and some of those guys are, are going to get fired and some of them are going to go 10 and two and, and get a contract extension. So, you know, you could have a lot of games this season where it's two coaches seemingly uh, coaching for their job. And then, you know, I think in the big 10 Harbaugh is always in the news. Um, and I think it'll be the case this year because um, he has to replace some, he has to replace 18 starters. So on the one hand, you think, oh, if they take a step back this year, he'll get a little, little bit of a mulligan because that's extremely difficult to do. But I also think it's now year three of the most hyped, most covered coaching college football, and there's a significant contingent that feels like when's he going to actually win a championship? You know, is, is it going to be Ohio State, Penn State again? Can Michigan actually do it this time? Um, you know, I think that'll be a story to want, a storyline to watch. Give me, uh, give me three the three players you think are most likely to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Uh, one would be Saquon Barkley from Penn State. I think he's poised to have an absolutely huge year. Um, you know, it's not very uh, original, but I, I would Sam Darnold would definitely be there on that list. 
And here, how, how about an under-the-radar obvious one? The Heisman Trophy winner himself, Lamar Jackson. I don't buy all these lists. He's not, I think he's going to come out and remind people very quickly, probably in that first game against Purdue, why he won the Heisman last season. He's an incredible player. Sure is. Uh, what's a story you're most excited to write on the new site that you never really had the opportunity when you're at Fox or SI? Something that you're going to be able to do now that you couldn't before. You're really pumped about it. Well, I don't know a specific example because we don't want to spoil anything that's coming, obviously, okay. <laughs> once the site launches. But, you know, I'm uh, I'm using it as a chance to reinvent a couple things. I mean, I'll still be doing the mailbag, but I may look to do it a little bit differently. Um, I still have a Monday morning column, you know, every week of the season, but I may blow up the old format and try it a little bit differently. Um, and, you know, I'm also excited about what I don't have to do, which is, no top 25 capsules, no uh, lists of the top five linebackers in a conference. Uh, we, one of our writers, Chantal Jennings, was the first thing she said when I called her about the job, like, I, I don't have to do listicles anymore. And I said, you, great, you don't have to do listicles anymore here. Um, we've got some really great stories planned for that first week. Um, the challenge will be week two because you can spend all summer planning for week one. And right. then <laughs> they'll play the games and we'll have to respond to that and and, and – react accordingly. I forgot to ask you this. Over under seven years as head coach at Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I mean, I like Lincoln Riley. I'd have to take the under just because the history has not been kind to the guy. The guy after the guy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the all-time link leader at a school. Yeah. Yeah, you want to be the guy after the guy. Sort of this summer, guy. actually. <laughs> yeah, you want to be that. That's yeah, guy. historically speaking, the guy that follows the all-time wind leader is much more likely to get fired than to, um, you know, he himself then end up being there for a long time. Well, I'm really excited. It's at the Athletic CFB. Uh, you can go to the athletic.com slash all-american uh, for more information. Uh, the podcast is back uh, with Bruce. Um, you can check Bruce Feldman, the audible, you the can audible. Get that wherever you get podcasts. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that is back. Everyone's excited about that. Stu and Bruce, uh, gotta love that. But really I'm excited about this site. I can't wait for it to launch. Um, really excited to read, uh, Stuart Mandel, uh, without the clickbait or the, uh, the guiding hands of an editor at one of the big sites. I think you're going to kill it. I'm looking forward to it. Anything else plug-wise you want to get out there before I let you go? No, I appreciate all the plugs you've already given us. Um, We launch on Monday the 28th. You'll have a chance to get a year's subscription at a discounted rate starting uh, about roughly about 48 hours ahead of time. Awesome. Thank you so much. I don't want to keep you too long today because I want to get back at you after you get a month or two under your belt so we can talk about uh, how the site's going. But um, thank you so much for joining me today. I know it's a busy time of the year. All right. Thank you. All right, I want to thank Stuart Mandel and Sean McDonough for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate those guys taking time out 
in August as they prepare for their seasons. Don't forget you can find that interview and all our interviews on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and your favorite podcatcher. If you're trying to hear it somewhere and we're not there, email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and we'll make sure to set it up so you can listen where you enjoy listening the most. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters. You can find Don at Don Lake Sports. Don't forget we're going to have another episode this week on Friday. And our guest is Will Leach, and we'll have another as well. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, the Motivation Through Music podcast, episode 8, went up today. Uh, you can find that on SoundCloud as well. It's soundcloud.com slash motivation through music. And you can subscribe to Twitter there at M through M pod. Again, this week's is about lose yourself. So. All right. With that said, uh, one last thing for me today. You know, 2010 uh, was the last summer I played any hockey. And you know what? To be honest, I didn't play much. Uh, I was on a team or two maybe, and I only went sometimes. I didn't feel healthy. I wasn't happy with the way I played, and I kind of thought hockey was done for me. I thought that at 30, I just couldn't do it anymore, that my health just wouldn't let me. I wasn't good enough. couldn't play at the level I wanted to play. And I walked away. And then obviously in 2013, it got even worse, right? Like I had a huge surgery. And the thought of playing hockey was, wasn't even on my mind. Uh, when I thought about hockey, I thought about my brother and watching his games and getting to his games. That was what was important to me, not playing in a rec league somewhere or whatever. The only thing was I did love hockey. I loved playing. And I know I'll never be the player I was at 22, probably never be the player I was at 30 when I walked away, but I was starting to get the itch a little bit, but I also, despite getting the itch, I would just kind of dismiss it, like, you know, I'm done, I'm really done, but then I had Paula, and I don't know, I guess I was thinking about what I would say to her uh, when she found out that I used to play hockey. And didn't play anymore. Why didn't I play? Was I going to say because of my health? Was I going to tell her that I never even tried after all those surgeries uh, to take back something I loved, something that was taken from me and all this? That I didn't even try? I never even went out one time? Was that really what I was going to tell her? And I was embarrassed by that. And I knew that that couldn't be, that couldn't be what I said. So the opportunity arose late this spring. We found out that Anthony was coming back home. Josh was home after a few years away. Uh, Don's brother, Josh, who's like a, a brother to me, someone I love very much. Those two guys were coming home, and we're going to be home all summer. And I talked to my brother, Greg, and I said, we should, we should do this. We should get a team. We should, we should be a team again. We should, we should play. And I said, well, that's just a Surround me with some really, really good players because most likely after seven years, I'm going to be dog shit. And that was mostly true, but you know what? I got back out there and uh, we started a team called Given to Fly. We got new jerseys. Greg designed them. 
And we put together a nice team. And I guess sometime in late April, I went back out. And I got through the first game. I don't know that. It, I don't know that it was the worst game I've ever played in my life, but obviously I protected myself. I didn't play a lot. I didn't play for a long time when I got out there. I played really simply, very safe. I played defense. I don't think I ever got much further than the opposite blue line. You know, I was never behind the net, anything like that. Uh, but every week I got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, I guess. And, uh, you know, I'm still at the end of the season now, which was Saturday. Uh, we actually won the league. And we won the league. I'll be honest, it wasn't the best league. It was the only one that was available by the time we signed up. And our team, under normal circumstances, wouldn't have signed up for that league. It was a little bit below, in terms of competition, our skill level as a whole on the team. But it was probably a blessing for me because it was a good league for me to step into. Uh, and to give this a try. And, uh, you know, overall, the experiment was a success. I love to play, and I love to compete, and I loved every Saturday this summer. I looked forward to it, you know, every week to wake up on Saturday and to go play. And I think the most important thing wasn't winning the league, as cool as that was. The most important thing wasn't being out there with my brothers again, as cool as that was. The most important thing is now being able to tell Paula that I tried, that after all those years away, I still got back out there and I did my best. (laughs) 